This week, we, uh, we start our series, Faith of Our Fathers, in which we're going to walk through Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter is often called the, the Faith Hall of Fame, because it lists out many of the heroes of the Old Testament. We're going to be taking this time from now until Advent, just before Christmas, to work through these stories and see how faith was active in the lives of the heroes of old, and how faith is alive in us today as well. So if we're going to be spending a bunch of weeks talking about faith, it would probably be good to define what that is, right? It would probably be prudent to ask the question, what is faith? That's the question our text this morning answers. Let's read the word of the Lord together in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. We read the word of the Lord. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Let's end the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Faith. Faith can be kind of confusing, can it? Confident in what we hope for? Assured about what we do not see? What what does that even mean? Does that make sense? How, How do we reconcile this logically? Richard Dawkins, a renowned biologist, outspoken atheist, and author of many books that criticize and mock the Bible has to say, or to mock what the Bible has to say about creation and intelligent design, including the God delusion, has this to say about faith. He writes, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, perhaps even because of, the lack of evidence. Now, Mr. Dawkins, he's not the only one that feels this way. I've run into many acquaintances, many friends, who also think along this line. And since they know me, since they know what I do, they try, like, to do it gently. (laughs) But in the end, the question, one form or another, is, how can you have faith in something you've never seen? How could you be that gullible? How, how could you be that stupid? And I get it. I mean, I, I understand the reasoning. I understand the doubt. I understand that the desire to, to rely on what we can see and what we perceive and what we understand. You know, it, it's comfortable. It's what we're used to. I, I, I totally get it. I get it. But to those that rely on the tangibles, that rely on their own understanding, that rely on that trust in their own perceptions of the world around them, I, I have a question to ask. Are there times when what we see blinds us from the truth? Are there times when what we see blinds us from the truth? Are there times when what we have concluded through logical reasoning causes us to miss what is actually true. I was at a birthday party when I was about 13 years old. 
For the party, we went to the swimming pool at the high school in Prince Albert, a city that was about half an hour north from where I lived in Saskatchewan, Canada, a little town of Hagen. Now, this wasn't an amusement park. You know, there was no wave pool at this. There's no water slides at this particular pool. But it was the best that that Prince Albert could offer, especially in the winter because it was indoors. Some of my pictures aren't going to be indoors, but... It is what it is. You order what you can on Google Images. So that's just, that's just how we're going to roll with it today. But it was, it was all indoors. It was just this big cement block. And it had, it had two pools. A rectangular swimming pool and then a rectangular diving pool. Sometimes kids would play in the swimming pool, but the real draw was the diving boards. They had a low board and then they had the high board. I loved the low board personally. Like that was my jam. I'd, I'd, I'd do flips and all these different types of jumps and somersaults and carwheels, whatever, off the low board. Like that, that's where I hung out. But the lower diving board wasn't really the draw either. That's not why people went to this particular pool. Most kids wanted to go to the high school swimming pool because of the high board. The line for the high board was five times as long as the line for the low board and and I remember as a 13-year-old, I decided that it was time that I conquered the high board. It's time that I faced my fears and conquered the high board. I waited in line. When my time came, I climbed up to the top of the ladder and walked out to the edge of the board. And there I promptly freaked out. Frozen at the edge of the diving board. Sometimes what we see blinds us from the truth. All I could see at the edge of that board was the height. I was so high up in the room now. The water was so far away. All of my senses were telling me that this was a particularly terrible decision. I had no business standing on the end of this flimsy board this high up above the water. In my 13-year-old brain, if I was to jump from that board, pain was inevitable and death was possible, if not likely. The reality, the truth of the matter, was that I was totally safe. There was no danger in me jumping from that board. There was a lifeguard watching the pool attentively, should there be any accidents or, or, should, the swimming, or should swimming be an issue. There wasn't a line of ambulances parked next to the pool waiting to take the next jumper to the emergency room. Yes, it was high. Yes, it was scary. But the party had been going on for over 40 minutes. And a steady stream of kids had been jumping off this board and no one had gotten hurt. In fact, shortly after jumping, they swam as fast as they could to the ladder so they could climb and get back in line so they could jump again. But at the edge of that board, I couldn't think of those things. With little faith in the lifeguard, I wouldn't have been so scared. With little faith in the confidence of, of the chaperones, with a little faith in the injury-free history of the pool, my fears would have been calmed. But instead, all I could see was the height and the depth. All I could hear was the warning bells going off inside my head, screaming that this was a bad idea. All my senses telling me that to jump meant pain and suffering. Sometimes what we see blinds us from the truth. And so faith, while it may seem like a cop-out, 
Well, it may come across as naive. Well, it may seem like a good excuse to not have to think. Faith is a device that enables us to trust in God instead of ourselves. To trust in what he has to say instead of what we may feel or experience or see. For we in faith are recognizing that we do not always see perfectly. We are recognizing that sometimes we are that 13-year-old standing on a high dive and not being able to process the truth of our situation, but instead only our perception of it. And sometimes that's really hard, especially when life is hard. I, I love this quote from Martin Luther. He, he says this about faith. He says, faith does not insist on knowing the reason for God's actions, but it still regards God as the greatest goodness and mercy. Faith holds to that against and beyond all reason, sense, and experience when everything appears to be wrath and injustice. He says that faith in God doesn't mean understanding God. It doesn't mean that we know why things happen the way that they do. It doesn't mean that we can even grasp the reason for things. This past winter, when we were going through the grieving process of losing Ava, our stillborn little girl, there were so many times when we wanted justification for her death. We wanted to know why. Why did this happen? Why was she taken? And you know what? We we couldn't find a good answer. We were offered many answers from well-intentioned people and friends, but none of them added up. None of them made us feel better about losing this little one that we loved so much. And faith lets me rest in the reality that I don't need a good answer. I can't see all the angles. I can't see all the details. But what I do know is that God is good. I have faith in that. I have Faith, that as Martin Luther said, God is the greatest goodness and mercy. And in spite of what may appear to be evidence to the contrary, I know that I can't understand everything. And I can't see everything. And so I put my trust, my faith, in the one who does. Our text this morning says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. That doesn't mean that we're all getting the car we hope for, or the job that we hope for, or the toys that we hope for, or even the death that we hope for. That's not the kind of hope that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. He's he's talking about our hope in the promises of God. Promises that haven't been realized yet, but that we are confident in. Faith is being confident in our hope that Christ will return. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming again. Faith is being confident in our hope that we will rise from the dead when He comes again. 1 Peter 1, 3. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We will live again. We will rise again because of Jesus. 
And faith is being confident in our hope of reigning with Him in heaven. Revelation chapter 22 verse 5 reads, And night will be no more. They will need no lamp, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever and ever. In eternity, in heaven, with God. The hope that the writer of Hebrews is talking about isn't hope for material possessions or wealth or health here on the physical world, but hope that is rooted in the confidence of God's promises in the spiritual world. And in faith, we celebrate God's promises as if they have already been kept. Because of faith, we can enjoy a full certainty that in the future, these realities, these promises of God will come true. That God will keep His promises. Christ will come again. We will have life after death. And we will spend that eternal life in heaven with God forever. We can rest. We can have peace now knowing that will come to pass. Knowing what will be. So the pain we feel now, the despair that we endure, the hardship that we walk with, the burdens that we carry, we know that they will not be with us forever. And knowing that they will not last, it dulls the pain, it lessens the despair, it softens the hardships and eases the burdens. So though we will still struggle through life here, we are struggling here while also living in the hope, the faith of the promise of what will come, the promise of what life will be like. But man, those hardships, that pain and that despair, sometimes it can be incredibly overwhelming and sometimes it can seem like more than we are able to overcome. Standing on the diving board, the fears and the doubts of my 13-year-old self, they overcame me. I will never forget backing my way off that board. There were already kids all the way up the ladder waiting their turn, but they couldn't go around me. There wasn't enough room on the ladder or the board, so everyone had to back off the ladder, and in my shame, I climbed down. The eyes of all my peers, my chaperones, the lifeguard, my party, my friends at the party, every eye was on me as I made my shameful exit off the ladder. I didn't want people to think I was weak. I didn't want people to think I was a scaredy cat. I I didn't want people to think less of me, but my fear was too great. That which I could see, the height and the depth, they totally overpowered my ability to trust, to put my faith in the truth that I would have been totally fine had I jumped. And so I gave in to my doubt. I was, I was covered in shame and trudged over to the pool that nobody wanted to play in. And I sat by the edge, letting my feet dip into the water as I tried to hold back the tears so that my shame wouldn't be any greater than it already was. Are you wrestling with doubt or with shame this morning? Have circumstances arisen in your life that are causing you to doubt the promises of God? To doubt God altogether? What happens when we doubt? How does it make God feel about us? What are the consequences of failing to keep the faith? What is the end result of my doubt? 
One of the things that I love that really encourages me about the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 is that none of these people were perfect. Not one of them did everything right all the time. Every one of them was a sinful person like you and like me. Every one of them had their doubts like you and like me. As we journey these coming months through the halls and look at the stories We will see that though they may have busts in the Faith Hall of Fame, they also experienced doubt. They failed. They messed up many times. They didn't always trust as fully and completely as they should have or as they wanted to. We will all fail to keep faith perfectly. To live without fear and doubt. We will all fail to trust God so completely that we worry no more and that anxiety is a stranger to our door. And when we fail, let us run to the arms of the one who has forgiven us. Let us repent of our sin, the sin of doubt. Let us hold on to the promise of forgiveness. Let us run to our heavenly Father and let us cling to Jesus. As Hebrews chapter 12, 2 tells us, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith isn't perfect. Our ability to wield faith will never be perfect in this life. But Jesus created our faith and he wrote it. He is its author. Faith is not something that we found in a cave or stumbled upon like a treasure that washed up on the shore after a storm. Faith is a gift that has been given to us as we read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. And Jesus is its author, its founder. But it's not like this is a one-time gift where you receive your allotted allowance and you must, not, you must take care not to waste any of it. For Jesus is continuing to perfect our faith. He is continuing to help us grow in our faith. As Martin Luther writes in the small catechism, faith continues to be given to me by God's Spirit, continues to be given to us by God's Spirit through the Word as I repent of my sin and trust Jesus alone for my salvation. Have you struggled with faith? As my feet were dangling in the pool and I was choking back tears, some of my friends came up to me and sat on either side of me and started encouraging me. They told me about how the first time they went up on the high board, it was scary for them as well. One of them remarked as to how he climbed back down the ladder as well. Now he had also hidden in shame. They told me I wasn't alone. They told me I wasn't a loser. They told me that they were still my friends, even though some of the other kids were laughing at me. And they encouraged me to climb the ladder one more time and jump. Because of the encouraging words and support of my friends, I braved the line once more. I avoided the mocking eyes, but I got in line. I climbed the ladder one rung at a time, and I stood at the end of the board again, and the same fears assaulted me. I was still scared by the height and the depth, I was still scared by what I could see, so I closed my eyes, and I jumped. It wasn't the prettiest jump off the board. 
I'm sure, the, I'm sure the whole process looked rather unremarkable to those who were watching and waiting their turn. The judges wouldn't have even cared to raise a scorecard. But for me, it was huge. For me, it was huge. If you are struggling with faith, if you are struggling with doubt, if Satan is whispering in your ear and telling you how God could never forgive you for your failings, if your sinful nature is covering you in shame for the ways that you've acted, the ways that you have embarrassed your faith, please go and read Hebrews 11. Let the words of the Lord be comforting words of my friends. Let the word of the Lord embrace you. Let it encourage you. Let it urge you to move forward in your faith. If you are struggling in your faith, repent. Repent and trust in Jesus. He is longing to fill you with faith. It is a continual gift, not a one-time offer. It is something that He does. It is not something that we qualify for. Oh, let the love of God and the faith of Jesus overwhelm you. So back to the question we asked in the beginning. What is faith? Faith is believing that God is who He says He is, that He has done what He has said He has done, and that He will do what He has promised to do. And it is believing all of that without being able to see the contract or even the one signing it in the way that we are used to seeing things. And it is a gift. And it is for you. What an amazing, fantastic, and wonderful God we serve. Amen.